The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. When I was a junior in my undergraduate degree, a friend's parents invited me and alongside a bunch of us to their house for, to have a home-cooked meal for a bunch of poor college students. And I don't know about you guys, but that was an amazing opportunity. Eating college dorm food is not the greatest. But as we were there, I got the opportunity to spend time with her father. And as we were just kind of spending time together, uh, he eventually said, Ricky, like this book that I read was a huge blessing upon my life. And I think it'd be good for you. So I take the book and read it. And I remember back then, 25 or 15 years ago, um, that it was a blessing to my life. Unfortunately, I don't remember much of the book today. The only thing I actually remember from this book was its title. And I have actually thought about the title often in my life. That title is called Spiritual Slavery to Spiritual Sonship. Now, the reason I, I look back upon that title a lot and meditate on it is because as I look about my life and my faith story, it, it can be really summarized in that regard. That when I said yes to Jesus, I entered into his covering, his spiritual covering. And there are times when I recognize and can rest fully as a son of God's, where I live and breathe and operate knowing that he will provide, he will protect, he will care, that everything that it says in his word will be true. And the way that I live life is, so, is out of that mentality. There's other times in my life where I revert back to what the Bible calls my, uh, to my sin life, which is a cursed life that I was once enslaved with. And that even though I have not left God's covering, the way that I think, the way that I operate, the way that I am viewing the world is not in that sonship mindset, but in something completely different. And today, as we continue this series called Journey, going through the ups and downs in life, we are going to look at an individual whose life is very much marked by that reality. There are times when he understands what it means to stand in the covenantal promise of God and that he operates as a son in that reality. And there are other times that he reverts back to the curse. That's what we're going to look at this morning is what it means to stand in the covenant of God or what does it mean to revert back to the curse? And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis chapter 6. It's, uh, if you don't have a Bible, it's in the little pamphlet that you got, or it's on the screen behind me. I'm going to warn you in advance. We have 33 verses to read this morning, so buckle up. And then on top of that, um, as I think some of you guys know, I have dyslexia. And English words can be hard, but Hebrew words translated into English can be very hard. Um, and there's some words in here that even though I've practiced many times, I'm just going to butcher it. So just letting you know in advance. But let's, let's dive in. It says, now there was a famine in the land beside the former famine that was the, in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerir, <clears throat> uh, to the Abimelech king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. And I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed." 
Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge and my commandments and my statutes and my law. So Isaac settled in Gerir. And when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, fearing to say my wife, thinking least these men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. And when he put there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out the window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. And so Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought, least I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the Philistines might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Greer and settled there. And Isaac dug again the well of the waters that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistine had stopped after putting after the death of Azraim. And he gave them the names that his, ser- uh, that his father's servants had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Greer quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen saying, the water is ours. And so they called the name of the well Isk because they contended with him. Then he dug another well and quarreled over that also. And so he called the name Sida. And he moved from there and dug another well and did not quarrel over it. And so he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him in that same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for your servants Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerir with Zuzath and his advisors, Fickle, the commander of the army, Isaac said to them, why have you come to me seeing that you hate me and you have sent me away from you? They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. And so he said, let there be a sworn pact between us between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm just as we have not touched you and you have done to you nothing but good and sent you on your way in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. And in the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths and Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from in peace. That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the the way that they had dug and said to him, we have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. We did it. Congratulations. (laughs) Uh, 
So the, the text starts here with us being told that there is a famine in the land that's different than the one that Abraham, his fathers, has experienced. Now, when we read this word famine, I think many of us, who, because we do not live in an agriculture society, do not understand what that experience would be like. And so because of that, uh, we don't fully grasp what is taking place. So just try to imagine for a moment if this happened into your life. Let's say that whoever worked in your household lost their jobs on the same day. And now that you guys have been trying to live off your reserves, but those, the 401ks, the, um, the retirement fund, all those things are coming to an end. You are trying to figure out what or how you will pay rent or the mortgage next week, and you're not sure what you would eat that night. That is the mindset of what it would feel like to be in Isaac's shoes when it says there's a famine. Because a famine means that all the resources are depleted. Famines are dark seasons of life. And it says here that um, in this moment, God shows up. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I, if I was in that position and I was trying to, to figure out, I'd be trying to figure out what to do, right? Because I love myself and my kids and my wife. And, and so I'm gonna do anything possible to, to try to look around myself or do the things necessary to make sure I'm able to get the stuff I need to survive. And it says, in that moment, God appears to him and, and establishes his covenant with him. Now, this word covenant at its very simplest means an agreement between two parties where at least one of the parties gets blessed for obedience or cursed for not following through. Now, when the people of Israel hear the word covenant, that word to them associates to the covenant that was given to Abraham, Isaac's father, Isaac, and then Jacob, his son. And it was threefold the first one is that they would give in kids that have a large offspring. Uh, the second one, that they would be a blessing to be blessed. So they would be gain a lot so they can give. And then lastly, it would be that they would be able to have and possess a piece of property, a piece of land. And so it says here that as Isaac is struggling to figure out what to do, sounds like he was making a plan because he wanted to go to Egypt. God appeared to him and says, don't. And what he reveals to him is says that I will protect and provide for you. And what we need to learn here is this, is that when we rest in the covenant of God, he is the one who protects and provides. He is the one who protects and provides. Now, and, and for us, we have an idea of what that would look like, but we gotta make sure that we understand something. It doesn't say that the famine went away. It simply says that God said he will provide your needs despite his circumstances. And what God was asking Isaac to do was to say, will you trust me that I will protect and provide for you even when it's difficult around you? A couple of months ago, Pastor Anthony and I got an opportunity to go visit someone who is a part of our congregation, but unfortunately has to spend the last almost all of 2023 in the hospital. And due to some of the health complications that took place in the hospital, this individual had to have their limbs amputated, all of them on some different level. 
Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I was just in a hospital for a year, that would have been a dark season of life. But on top of that, having not one of my limbs taken, but all of them would be a place of devastation. And when Anthony and I were driving up there and talking and kind of praying about our situation, we had an expectation of what we would be walking into. Um, that we would be going there to uplift and to remind this individual about the goodness of God and his faithfulness. And even though circumstances are difficult and hard, like he is still over and uh, over everything. But when we got into, entered into this room, Anthony and I were shocked at what we experienced because this individual started to praise God and his goodness and his faithfulness. And they said time and time again in that hour plus that we were with them, how that God had been faithful to them before and so he will be faithful to them again. And that even though these circumstances are dark, God is still on the throne. And not only did they do that, they then started saying, hey, can you start praying for this person in the, in, in the room next to me? And can you start doing this? And, and was asking us and encouraging us to leave them to help bless others. And this individual knew with full certainty what it meant to rest in the covenant that God would provide and protect despite the circumstances. And I think for so many of us, this is such a daunting task, if we're very honest. When we're faced with a difficulty in our marriage or when our job security isn't there or when our, our family is going through turmoil or frustration and there is a dark season upon us, we aren't quick to praise God, but rather we're, we're more likely to revert to the curse, which is that a cursed life is saying, I have to protect and provide. What it says here in, in, in verse six is something that you'll probably just kind of zoom by because it doesn't seem like the big deal, but it said that, so Isaac settled in Gerir. And you might be thinking, why is that such an importance? But in verse three, God told Isaac that he is called to sojourn in the land. Now this word sojourn means is to like, to wander but with intentionality, i.e. that God would take them from one location to the next, to the next, to the next, that he would be faithfully providing for them. And so they needed to be obedient to him walking and stepping through this. And yet what we are told is that Isaac did what? He settled. Meaning he wasn't faithful to God's request. Instead, he took charge and settled in a place. And when he settled there, what do we see take place is that he had to lie and manipulate the people around him because he was afraid of them. And not only did he do that, he also mistyped and misjudged the individuals around him. And so often when, when we revert to the cursed life, when we start looking inward to ourselves and not looking outward, we will have to start to lie and to manipulate and we will stop seeing things for the way it's meant to be because we are looking inward instead of actually believing in God's covering and looking outward. And so we do what we need to do to make sure we get a leg up in, in the business maybe do something a little shady or not so true because we're nervous about what could or could not happen. And so we're trying to protect ourselves and our family. And in the process, we start stacking up things that eventually come to haunt us. 
Because as, as we are told here, is that eventually Isaac's lie catches up to him. It says that the king of uh, Abimelech looks upon his wife, or looks upon uh, Isaac and Rachel, and they're laughing together, was it, was it says in the ESV. In other languages, it says caressing. Whatever the case, it's this intimate moment that he had with his wife, and the king looked upon him and said, you have lied to me. And what Isaac thought was going to happen was that they were gonna be barbaric and kill him for that. But what actually happens is the king acts more in line with God's way than Isaac was acting, where the king, instead of killing him for his wife, honored his marriage and said anyone who was to touch him would be killed because of it. The king told them to live the exact opposite of what, or did exact opposite of what Isaac thought would take place. And it is so difficult for us to believe that this is the reality of our world because so many of us operate in this cursed life. Now you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, I don't do that. I've never told anyone my spouse was my brother or sister. That's just weird. Uh, you're right, that is a little weird. What's even more weird is that his father did this, Abraham did this, to the same kingdom in the same place. So it's a little not weird. But what are these two men doing? What they are saying is, God, I trust you in some areas of my life, but not others. See, what Isaac was saying is, Lord, I will trust you that you're gonna provide for me in the famine, but I don't think you're gonna protect my family. And how many of us live that out? How many of us will say, God, I trust you with eternity that I wanna put my faith and hope in you knowing that whatever happens post this life, I will be in your presence, but I'm not gonna trust you with my finances. And so I'm gonna do what I want to do instead of giving it to you to figure out, I'm gonna deal with it. Or maybe I say, Lord, I'll trust you with my finances, but I'm not gonna trust you with my marriage or I'm not gonna trust you with my retirement or my kids or my grandkids. And so we have an area in our life where we go, mm -mm, that's mine. And when we live in the, we revert back to the curse mentality, we have to do the protection and the provision. And we aren't good at that. But when we stand firm in the covenant of God, he provides and he protects for us. And so the story continues. It says um, that in verse 13, that Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. So I got an orange. And so it's, let's just imagine this is what he did. He, so Isaac puts this orange into the ground and it says that God then starts to multiply this. So the point in which it's a hundredfold. Now, not only does he gain the, the food crop from the land, but also we are told that he gains flocks and herds. Now, uh, what the Bible is trying to get us to understand is what his effort was, very little, was a full, the production was solely from God. And what it's trying to get us to understand here is that God was being faithful to the covenant that he would bless him. And Isaac's role was to then do what? Was to bless others. 
So to give an understanding of what he kind of had, uh, I don't know if you guys know the difference between a flock and a herd. I didn't. I looked it up. A flock is anything under 100. A herd is anything over 100. All right? And it says that he had flocks and herds became very wealthy. Now, most of them, they operated in sheeps and goats. And so just to give a perspective, a single goat today produces roughly 40 pounds of meat, which will provide the average American family 2.5 months worth of food. And so one herd would have lasted Isaac a quarter, if not almost half of his lifetime, if that herd did not ever produce again. But that was just one of them. He had multiple herds and multiple flocks and a large crop. What the Bible was trying to get us to see is God was overwhelmingly bless him because he wanted him to then ask who needs support. And what he wanted him to do with this is to live a life of generosity. And when, it, when we rest in the covenant of God, we experience a life of generosity because we have been given much, and so we will give much. We will be given much, and so um, that, that's the second point, if you didn't know, is the, the covenant is the life of generosity. And so what this should have looked like is I would have said, okay, I have all these things. Who's hungry? Anyone want an orange? Coming in hot. One more. Anyone else? I got plenty. Nice. I got some people. Everyone else was shy the last couple. <laughs> right? Like, I, I, this should be a life of me just going, man, sweet. I just gave an entire bag away, and I still have more. <laughs> got some hungry kids over here. <laughs> right? And I can continue to do this because here's the reality of what the Bible is trying to get us to understand here is that no matter how much he gave away, he would still have enough. And yet so many of us don't live, live in this lifestyle. We got one more. That's my last one in my hand. So <laughs> uh, we don't live this out, right? We, what we do is the exact opposite of that. And what we see here is that eventually that Isaac starts to grow more and more and more to the point where it says that the Philistines were coveting what they had. And so instead of living a life of generosity, Isaac was living a life of scarcity. And when we revert back to the curse, we are living a life of scarcity, assuming that I won't have enough this is mine. I got to protect myself. I've got to hold on to this. You guys can't have this because we're afraid of what might come again. And unfortunately, and, and what, so when I was in college, uh, my, in my undergrad degree, I took a, a Christian's ethics class. And there was a pastor in like the 40s or 50s who raised $500 million dollars which is an astronomical amount of money today. Imagine what it was like then. And the story is told that this individual, um, at the end of his life, he didn't own a home, and he had less than $500 to his name when he passed away. And what he did was literally give all of this generosity that has been given into him back into the kingdom. He never went without. I mean, he had some times of hardship and he had some times of not, 
but he was always constantly doing this. And I started to try to research to remember who this person was because I couldn't remember his name. And after an hour worth of searching, I couldn't come up with his name. But know what I did find? I came up with story after story of individuals who claimed to know God and worship him doing this. Coveting the blessing that had been given to them. Instead of, you know, they've been given a gift of, of generosity and they started to embezzle that money. Or they had a, a fear that God wouldn't take care of their intimate needs. And so they started having affairs and doing things. And time and time again, instead of living in a blessed to be a blessing, we read story after story of people doing this. Now, I don't know anyone who's lived a life of scarcity. Now, a couple of years ago, this was like one of the hottest coveted uh, things you could get. A roll of toilet paper was going out. But what, what this is revealing is our fear that God wouldn't provide our basic needs. And so people flocked to stock up on toilet paper and then had too much to use it. I literally was given toilet paper for Christmas by people <laughs> because they lived in this mindset that said, I'm not gonna be taken care of, so I will have to take care myself. And when we live this out, we're not only hurting ourselves, we're hurting others around us because like, I got little kids and there are days when they really like these things, but I can't tell you how many of them I've thrown away because they just stopped liking them. And even though I had, had all this to have, I wasted it because it wasn't being used properly. There was a, a, a bishop and a monk uh, back in around 300, the middle of three, uh, three, year 300, that I think did a great job describing what scarcity mindset does. And he said this. He says, if one who takes the clothes off another is called a thief, then why give any other name than to the one who can clothe the naked and refuses to do so? The bread that you withhold belongs to the poor. The cape that you hide in your chest belongs to the naked. The shoes rotting in your house belong to those who go unshoed. When we live in a mindset of, of scarcity, we aren't actually getting to operate in what God wants us to do, which is to live a life of generosity. And for so many of us, when we hear generosity, we instantly go, oh, that must mean I gotta give more of my paycheck. And don't get me wrong, that's a part of generosity, but that's not the fullness of generosity. Generosity is a heart posture that says that I will give of my time because I've been given ample from God. I will give of my resources because God has given me those resources. It's a lifestyle that says that I have a never-ending supply into me, and so I will have a never-ending supply coming out of me. But when I revert back to the curse, I forget that I have a never-ending supply into me. And so I just start wasting the things I've been gifted. So many of us need to recognize that there's areas in our lives that we are wasting what we've been given because we are reverting back to the curse instead of resting in the covenant. And when we uh, revert back to the curse, what we see is it produces something. There's a byproduct for living out in that curse. And that curse is isolation and turmoil. 
God told Isaac in the covenant that he was called to be a blessing, to support and uplift all these people. And what did the king come to him and say? Get out, you're too powerful for us. And the king pushed him out of his community. And as he's being pushed and forced out of this community, he is experiencing turmoil after turmoil after turmoil as he's trying to find resource. People start fighting over the water and the land. And when we live in an insulated world where we are focusing in on ourselves, we actually start to produce turmoil and isolation in our life. And it's so sad as we see the, as we get older and older in life, we have less and less friends. We seem to be in more and more arguments. It's because we are so, we're still not living in this blessed life that I've gotten stuff, I can give stuff. We're, we're holding on to those things and that produces coveting and envy and frustration. And so eventually Isaac is pushed and pushed and pushed. Now, when you get to this moment, you'd think to yourself, at least I'm gonna to think to myself because it's probably how I act, um, was that you would think God would look upon him and say, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. You have not been faithful at all to what I have said. You have been disobedient to me. You're not blessing and to bless others. You didn't sojourn. You weren't trusting me, so I'm removing myself. But it said and says that God reminds him of whose he is. And that he reminds me of the covenantal promise to him. That when he got into this place of darkness and just this isolation, instead of condemning him, he starts to uplift him and reminding him of the truth. And so Isaac, we can only assume, starts to live in the covenant again because Abimelech, the king, comes back to him. Now, why would the person who, you, who pushed you away now all of a sudden years later want to come and seek you out? It's because they heard, as he said, that the Lord is blessing you. You're the Lord's blessed. He heard the life change and saw the reality. I was talking to one of our missionaries pretty recently and they were telling me that they started a baseball program in one of the local high schools. They didn't have a program. And so they did all the marketing, all the things to try to get kids to show up. The first year, 12 kids came, which is barely enough to make a baseball team. And this isn't a cool story where like they won the championship. Actually, it was a very, they did not have a very good year of baseball. But what those uh, missionaries said to those kids is like, we'll teach you the game of baseball, but we're gonna be a family. And we're gonna support you and love you and cheer you and help you in all the other areas of your life. And they were faithful to that. And the next year when baseball trites came out, 240 boys showed up to try to learn a game they had never desired to learn before because they believed that if they needed to receive the peace, the community, the friendship that they were starving for, that they would be willing to do the work of learning baseball. And what we can see is that when we actually live in the covenant of God, it produces community and peace that people are drawn to. That people start hearing about what's happening or observing what's happening in your life. And they go, I want what you have because I have struggled and strived and done all this work all my life and I cannot have peace. 
I am overwhelmed and anxious. And yet there's a way, there's a, there's a reality that you're just walking with your head high. And even the darkest of moments, how are you doing this? It's because you've been resting in the covenant to promises that God would protect and provide and that you've been living out generously instead of coveting. And what's the coolest thing about this is that the last thing we can see is that the covenant is that God gets you where you need to be. We might miss this because we don't recognize the topography, but it said that the last place that Isaac landed was in a place that he called Beersheba. Now, Beersheba means pretty much nothing to any of us, but Beersheba is a very important place for Israel because it's the southernmost point of their kingdom. And what we see here is this, is that in Isaac's lifetime, so Isaac lived 180 years, and yet he only gets one chapter dedicated to his life. And in this chapter, we see God fulfill his covenantal promise. Last week, he gave him kids, if you were here with us. This week, he blessed him to be a blessing, and he got him to the land he was supposed to be. And what we can learn is that when we rest in the covenant of God, he gets us to the location we were meant to be. But when we have to, we will always end up in the wrong. And so I'm gonna invite the, the band up and ask you this as we start to close. Is as you think about your life, where are you standing the most in? Are you learning to, to rest in the, in the covering and the covenantal promises of God where you are experiencing the fullness and the freedom of God? Or are you consistently reverting back to the sin-filled life that you've been enslaved to? And the band's gonna give you a couple of, minutes, a couple of moments just to sit and listen. And I just encourage you in this time to reflect. And maybe you've never said yes to Jesus and you have no idea what this would look like. And, and in this time of, of reflection, would you just ponder and wonder and maybe even for the very first time say, Lord, if you really are God of the universe and those things are true about you, I'll serve you. But take this time and ask, God, where do I need to repent? Where do I need to turn back to your truth because I've reverted back to my old habits? I think one of the most difficult realities of life is being still with our thoughts because we're afraid and overwhelmed of what we've done or haven't done. And as we got to see here this morning, God doesn't punish us in those moments. 
but he reminds us of his character. And he wants us to be reminded this morning that when we have said yes to him, that we are beloved sons and daughters and that we need to trust in his faithfulness. That despite our circumstances, that God has provided and he will provide again. And that we need to actually take steps of faith and say, Lord, I will live a life of generosity because I know you are good. And so God, let my generosity be seen as the community around me is blessed and walks in peace because of it. And so Lord, we just ask that you would help us. Would you help us to be people of peace because we're resting in your covering. And God, for the areas in our lives where we're not allowing you to be in control, would you forgive us? And would you remind us? And would you gently bring us back? Because God, we wanna be a people who are loved and adored by you because we are obedient and trustworthy. So God, we love you for this. We give you this time. We're gonna pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.